Pot on the Tyne is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic about all things Newcastle United. Slightly later in the week this week, but uh, uh, we, we're still whoa, here. Whoa, whoa, hang on. What? What? I've been away for two weeks and someone's died and made you God. Why are you introducing this podcast? I am the senior partner. You're just, uh, you're just, just a strange uh, bloke who loves sausages. What is going on? <laughs> Would you like to introduce the podcast, George? Is that what this is yes, all about? Yes, I'm, I'm Batman and you're Robin. In fact, in fact, you're the Joker. You are a Joker. <laughs> That's what you are. You're a Joker. Well, what? I'm, I'm going li- to leave looked- this over to you then. I'm going to leave this well, over no, to you. T- you introduced. I've tried to and, and now who, that's who gone. T- who said that you were the person to do this? Well, I just took that upon myself. I just thought, you know, I'm going I'm well, to take some initiative here. You're like, the, you're like all the other ones in Take That. I'm Robbie Williams. I could. I should be doing this. Come on, this is my. This could be my time. If I'd given this some thoughts, I could make this quite good. Right. Well, fine. I. I, I will shut up for a minute. Then you go on. You. You introduce. We'll. We'll just have to scrap what I've just said. <sighs> well, I haven't even thought about it. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne. Slightly later in the week this week, but uh, George Colkin is back with us, but uh, Taylor is, is is not here with us this week, so George and I will be uh, taking us through the show. We will have a special guest in Andy Jones on later. He is our Burnley correspondent to talk about Jeff Hendrick, who's signing a free transfer. First of all, George, how are we? Well, I'm slightly pissed off, if I'm being honest, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, apart from that, I'm all right. Yeah, I've uh, been been away for a little bit. Um, I've enjoyed uh, very much enjoyed listening to the two podcasts whilst whilst I was away. So well done with that. And now, yeah, well, we're all we're all gearing ourselves up for the new season, aren't we? Come on, we cannot wait for this. It's going to be great. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be a festival of frivolity and footballing wonderfulness. I know you're eager to talk about this, George, but that is later in the show that we will get into that real enthusiasm about how excited yeah. everyone is about the new season. Um, but enough. in terms of in terms of a little little time away for you, was it did it did it help you refresh? The best thing was deleting Twitter off both my phone and all my uh, you know devices and things like that, which was quite strange at first because I do find that you sort of walk into a shop and the first thing you do is look at Twitter or you you I don't know you go and sit down and look at Twitter. So I was kind of pulling my phone out and then just sort of questioning the entire meaning of life because it's like, what do I do next? Oh, well, I suppose I better buy something in the shop or whatever. But no, it was good, very good to refresh and um, to come back to find that, um, well, Newcastle have made a signing for one thing, so hooray for that. And um, they also have some injury problems. So not, not really, in that sense, not a lot has changed. No, it hasn't changed very much at all. I mean, the two injury problems... 
that, that they have at the minute. We don't know quite the extent of Dwight Gale's injury. It has been reported elsewhere a matter of months rather than weeks. Now, that is my understanding as well. I think it is going to be a little while before Gale's back. Dubravka is the other one. He's out for about six to eight weeks, it looks like, with it with a heel injury. But, George, first, Gale, I mean... Newcastle don't exactly have tons of striking options. Everyone already knew they needed to sign a striker this summer. That was clearly going to be the priority regardless. They haven't yet been able to do that. And now they seem to be down to only Andy Carroll as an out-and-out centre-forward right now. Yeah, I mean, again, the irony... I mean, I had a had a very brief chat with Stu Bruce at the start of the week just to sort of just for a little catch-up. And he's kind of said, you know, the key to this season is going to be keeping players fit. Uh, simply because of the you know the volume of games and the the lack of recovery time, and he he kind of said Touchwood that Newcastle were in a good place that apart from uh, Fabian Cher who's who's out for another six weeks or so with his dislocated shoulder that they were looking okay and so yeah that is an immediate immediate setback to that. Dubravka is obviously a really important player and. Um, you know, we we know how important he's been over the last couple of years. I'm I'm sort of less immediately bothered by that than I am by the Dwight Gale scenario, simply because you know, as as you have said repeatedly, that that position is such a key one for Newcastle this season. Gale, a player that the club have tried to kind of get sell over the past two or three years, suddenly came back into the team last season and was absolutely pivotal because Jolinton is there for hundred million pound. Four hundred million pounds. Wow, I've inflated. It wasn't quite that much. There, I mean, it was I? a lot of money, but I think it was maybe been, if you take off a, if you take a decimal point back there. I think. Okay, I'll do that. Um, maths were never my strong point. Um, they're forty million pounds, sort of millstone. Um, and as you say, Carol not fit, and the other options just not figuring. Gale became really important. They do need a striker. They desperately need a striker, and they need a good striker. They need somebody who can come in, who is ready made. And, and can lead the line. So, yeah, I am concerned about that one. It seems to be that the plan before anyway was Yoshim Norimuto could, could be moved on. Joe Linton hasn't been seen at the, the, the training ground yet or at the training camp and there was is, been no official confirmation. Well, there's is been no missing? official confirmation. Well, you could argue he's missing for most of last season and I'm sure a lot of Newcastle fans would. No, that um, was a joke. That was a joke I, I was I got, doing. I got that, that was He specialises in missing. He specialises in missing. That was a joke I was doing. So anyway, the, the fact that, yes, they need a striker. Uh, Callum Wilson has repeatedly been linked. Now, he is definitely a player that Newcastle United like. Whether they can actually afford him and whether they can afford some of the other players that they like is basically the problem this window. Now, it seems that what's going on behind the scenes in terms of because they're also looking at a left-back, being linked to various left-backs. I think that basically Steve Bruce and, and the Newcastle hierarchy are trying to work out how they can best make his his budget fit because his budget is is as we understand it sort of between 30 and 35 million maybe significantly reduced on what it was before and the large proportion of that if they're going to sign someone permanently is going to need to go on a center forward and it needs to be someone who scores goals that got away with it to a large extent last season not having that striker as far as 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 we're aware they aren't necessarily close to signing anyone i do think that the last 24 48 hours in Dwight Gale's injury has focused minds a little bit but with the season just 
two and a bit weeks away, it's a little bit alarming that Andy Carroll, albeit given the very good goal he scored against Crew the other day, is seemingly the only option because not only is, is is the durability over a season concerning, but we don't even know whether he can last 90 minutes yet, do we? No, but I mean, I'm sure that Lionel Messi is just uh, is just around the corner. I'm sure that's the big news that uh, no one's really, I'm quite surprised no one's put that link together yet. But, um, you know, it'd be nice to see him tip up at St. James's, wouldn't it? Pot on the Tain is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. Have you had manscaping accidents, Chris? Not recently. So during lockdown, you did have, famously, you did cut your own hair, didn't you? I did, yes, I did. That was That was very much... On my head rather than uh, on another part of my body. No, but I think if you'd had Manscaped's life-changing products to hand, you would have been less likely to um, to have done that. You think I would use them on my head as well as on my other parts of my body? Well, I don't know. I tend to think that men probably use their own facial razors on their downstairs bits. I think if they're going to do that, that's what they would do. I don't think that's very sensible because you'll probably blunt your razors but I wonder whether you could use Manscaped's life-changing products on one's head as opposed to one's testicles. Well, it's something I can try next time I need to lock down a haircut. Well, I love the fact you've had to re- read this ad out because you are so uncomfortable doing it. <laughs> That's very true. Right, well, thanks for joined on the show by our Burnley correspondent, uh, Andy Jones. Andy, thanks for coming on. Hello, thanks for having me. We're here to talk about uh, Jeff Hendricks, and Newcastle United have actually made... A signing. I wouldn't say there's that much excitement around it. For someone who's watched a lot of Jeff Hendricks, certainly last season, can you explain the type of player that Newcastle have signed, please? There's two ways to sort of look at it. In, in the first is that, you know, I think Jeff Hendricks is going to come in at Newcastle and probably play central midfield. And it's something he's not done for, for Burnley for, for sort of the last three seasons. Um, but at the same time, what you can you can see from his performances and and from watching him this year is he is that that working light type player. He's neat and tidy on the ball, definitely, and I think that's you know something you you want you know in your midfielders. He's box to box, I'd say, as a, as a central midfielder. You know, he has got a really good engine on him, and something that Sean Dyche really liked about him. The way I would assume he'll fit into Newcastle's system would be a more reserved role, you know, further back. Um, but also he has played the number ten for Burnley. You know, he can nip play together, linked up well with you know whoever Burnley were playing as the as the front man, um, and, and sort of knitted things together and and sort of just you know keep, as a level headed type player, um, just sort of keeps everything ticking along really. So there are a couple of things that I wanted to say about about Hendrick. Firstly, that Newcastle did actually try to sign him in 2016. And at that point, they couldn't afford him, which is there is a sort of level of irony about that, I think, that they were outbid by Burnley. The second thing is that I saw a lot of him at Euro 2016 because I covered Ireland at the time and I saw all his matches there. And that was the sort of tournament really when he established himself in that squad, along with Robbie Brady, who also ended up at Burnley. And I think at that moment, it was like he drove the team. He was one of the driving 
forces in the team. Now, what I would say is that having seen him play for Ireland since then is that he never quite recaptured that or he never quite kicked on. Now, admittedly, he was playing in a very, very poor team, which should probably serve as some sort of preparation for what's going to happen next. But, but he didn't, I, you know, we did get the kind of feeling that he didn't sort of kick on for Ireland. Do you think he's developed as a player during his time at Burnley? Um, I, th- I think I think it's a fair comment that he's he's probably not necessarily kicked on as, as much as maybe he could have. But I think that is you know it's it's partly due to the way where he's played for Burnley. Um, because you know he's he's in a way I think it's sort of a square peg in a round hole. I think Burnley fans sort of use that that phrase quite a lot when it comes to Jeff Hendrick. He's not a right midfielder, and you know he's not necessarily the most comfortable playing there. But what he does and what you you can guarantee is that he's going to give you everything. Um, and it's why it's why Dice you know wanted to keep him and and, and really like them because you know he and, and Dice used this quote towards the start of the season. He said something along the lines of, um, he always finds a way back into the team. And that's a testament to him and what must be his work on the training ground to continue to, you know, make the noises and keep you know, knocking on the door essentially. But I think it's it's a difficult one to judge because he's not played central midfield for a long time. I think potentially he could have kicked on more than he has, but that is dependent on circumstances, I would say. I mean, Andy, you and I worked on this piece sort of looking at, at Hendrick and, and what Newcastle are saying and where he may fit in. And it was interesting because we did this sort of analysis looking at the last few years. And, and as you hinted at, he didn't play central midfield that much the last couple of seasons. He did to begin with at Burnley. I mean, he will come in at Newcastle and he gives them options. He will be able to compete with Isaac Hayden and John Joe Shelby for that midfield berth. If it's if it's four two three one, he could also play a little bit further forward. It gives him the option of moving to a sort of three man midfield. That versatility, it, it, it's it's sort of that cliche that someone that comes with a utility man that it, it gets them more game time, but at the same time, it, it it's it can be a hindrance to them because they don't settle on a position. I mean, you said before that Sean Dyche really liked him and didn't want to lose him. That that's something which I don't think has been necessarily been highlighted enough on this. He's gone on a free transfer. That's because his contract was up. It wasn't because Burnley wanted to lose him, was it? Dyche wanted to keep him, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, and I think that's a testament to to Hendrick and you know his professionalism. But yeah, you know he, he will come in and give Newcastle options, and he, and he certainly will. You know, stake his claim. You're right. The versatility tag can work against players um, because you can be shoehorned into you know positions that you aren't quite comfortable with, and and sort of the way Jeff Hendrick's. Burnley career developed, you can sort of see that. But I think what that has helped him do, um, and in terms of, just referring to the last question as well, in terms of that development and kicking on, is his technical awareness has, has definitely improved because he's learning different positions. And, and Burnley's midfield is very difficult to play because you're usually outnumbered in the sort of 3v2 against most midfields. The versatility of playing as a 10, as a wide, as a wide man and in the centre has been beneficial in, in, in the tactical sense because he's learned a lot of roles and, and learned, you know, you know, positioning and where he needs to be and when to go forward, when to make sure he's on the cover. And I think that all, you know, sort of helps as as you develop and, and progress in your career and, and as you get older and, and sort of mature. Well, really, thank you very much for that insight, Andy. It's been great to have you on. And uh, I mean, that article that Andy and I worked on, you can read that on The Athletic at the moment. There's still a, a 30-day free trial if you haven't signed up. So it's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you'll be able to find all the Newcastle United stuff and Burnley stuff there if you want to look back at Hendrick's time there too.
Well, it was good to get that insight from Andy Jones. I know that there hasn't been too much excitement about Jeff Hendrick necessarily, although I do think people accept that it, it is a decent signing given the circumstances. A few weeks ago, obviously, I think there was maybe loftier ambitions from, from a lot of Newcastle fans and even certainly those who, who were trying to buy the club about who may be arriving this summer. But this is the situation Newcastle are in, that takeover has has stalled, collapsed, however you want to put it. And, and right now, Jeff Hendricks signing is, is certainly better than nothing for Newcastle United. Yeah, and I did on that on that subject. Must we? Must we? Do we have to? Um, well, I, yes, I do want to, I suppose. Is I would like to sort of just take a step back and pay really pay tribute to Newcastle fans and in particular to the Newcastle United Supporters Trust for their for their efforts on the day before I I had my time off I I was very pleased to be asked to host a town hall meeting that the trust had um really sort of talking about what happened next and talking about sort of that transparency from the Premier League but I think I think to get ATMPs to 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 respond to their request for transparency from the Premier League to get Boris Johnson involved to to and then you know to get over half an hour with Richard Masters at Premier League is is a real achievement and to and to get the depth of answers that they got too I do you know I do want to make that point that that is the power that football fans can have um, if if they work together and you know it's just I just think it was a I just think that's an achievement that I want to recognise. Uh, on the pod and say well done to Alex uh, at the Trust, a friend of ours, and um, you know for everything everything he's done. Now I, I know that sort of after that there might be this thought of you know well you know what was the point of all that? And then what's really changed? Well, what's really changed is if you've got the you've got the Premier League answering questions in in great detail and saying you know actually saying that in future the owner owner and director's test may have to change and that there should be a way of keeping supporters involved. Um, and I think that's quite a big deal. And I think that, you know, I do. And again, I've seen that there's been, you know, it's it's then kind of been thrown back onto Amanda Staveley's consortium um, that they sort of have questions to answer. But I mean, I think from that perspective, what I would say is, I think it, I think, you know, what we talked about before I went away, that it has moved into a different sphere. I think it's moved into the political sphere now, the takeover, how you have all sides still, in inverted commas, committed to it, but not actively taking part in the director's test. It has gone to a political sphere, and I think that's where it'll stay. So I don't expect there to be uh, particularly any more public comment. I think it, I think what happens, there's been not too much public comment, but there's been too much sort of just public unpicking of what's happening if anything's going to happen good or bad it needs to happen in in private from now on but to repeat i think what the trust did and what newcastle united fans did was pretty remarkable i would echo all of that though although i would agree that we probably do need silence to, to an extent from the consortium if that's going to be picked up uh then really that needs to all be done in private whether it's going to be a, a positive or negative conclusion in the end but the, the one group who I do think that we need to hear more from certainly going up to the new season uh, it was sort of made the point repeatedly by the Premier League themselves actually was interesting they said throughout the takeover process Newcastle United could have communicated more and it was their decision to a large extent that a lot of the information wasn't relayed because if you remember correctly 
that all communication between the prospective buyers and the Premier League goes through the club. So they were kept informed, certainly at the highest level throughout now, in terms of, I don't mean that we need the club to come out and say that this takeover's on, this takeover's necessarily off, but but just to give fans some sort of direction going into the new season. We had a statement from Lee Charnley to Sky Sports a few weeks ago. It was a very brief statement saying that they're, they're back in Steve Bruce. We haven't quite yet seen that, and it would be nice to know just, just that there is some sort of at least medium to short term, well, sorry, short to medium term plan for what's going to happen with Newcastle United, because at the minute, as we're going to discuss it in a second, I think there's a lack of optimism, isn't there, George, around the club at the, in terms of around the fans at the minute? Well, and you can un, you can absolutely understand that, can't you? I mean, it does. You know, it feels like we have this kind of conversation every every summer, really. Um, and that's the sad, you know, that's the sad thing. Obviously, last summer, a year ago, or a year and a bit ago, the mood around the club felt very deflated and pretty toxic, and. Um, you know, it feels the same thing now that we keep having these huge spikes of hope. You know, we have these spikes of hope and then we have the massive fall afterwards. And that certainly happened again. We we are living in this kind of quite strange parallel universe, of course, now when, you know, the football is going to be played in front of an empty stadium. So we don't know, you know, we we don't know what the kind of physical effect of what's happened this summer will be on the club, you know, whether it would have... Uh, whether it would have a sort of massive implication in terms of the numbers turning up. But, you know, to repeat a very, you know, uh, a, a very old fact, we know that 10,000 people didn't turn up last last season and, they, and that the club filled the ground with, with free part season tickets. It does feel very deflated because um, what would have, you know, because of what might have been. And so that's the backdrop that the club are operating in and yeah i mean you you put a poll on on twitter the other day didn't you just to sort of try and try and get a gauge of mood and i mean in so i mean the res- the re- the response from the newcastle jury um was pretty overwhelming so we had uh, 6,027 responses. Actually, this is me scratching George's back to, to a certain degree because he is doing a piece about hope, which I don't know when exactly that's going to come out, but that's about all clubs. But I sort of put out the Newcastle United side asking, do fans feel optimistic or pessimistic? There was four options on this poll, which uh, was up for 24 hours on Twitter. So there was top 10, and we got 2%. Mid-table, 6%. Struggle but survive, 44%. Big trouble, 48%. Now, we didn't even necessarily explain what big trouble is, but I suppose the implication is that a lot of people are fearing relegation this season. Yes, I mean, that is a pretty... <laughs> now, I said I wasn't very good at maths, so that's what, 80, uh, 92% people predicting uh, big trouble or struggle. And that, I mean, it does feel like a fairly reflective... Uh, you know, these things are never quite scientific. But A, I mean, you've got 6,000 6, responses, which is amazing. Thank you very much for that. And that is a particularly bleak set of numbers. I can't imagine, I can't imagine uh, that any other club would have such a, such a bleak response. I mean, I just, I just don't. And I mean, the 2% saying top 10, that's quite interesting. Um um, and no, so it doesn't feel that's not the most uplifting way to start the season. But I do think it's reflective. That could change, of course, because there's only there've only been a kind of couple of uh, 
free free transfers. Jeff Hendrick, as we mentioned before, and a third cho- choice goalkeeper. So they will, you know, they will have to do more before the season starts. But that poll very much suggests that we're going to be looking for three worth signs again. There were, I mean, I sort of invited further comments below, and and a lot of the explanations were basically about that. There's quite a few people who, who who said that their response may be different if if a striker signs or if they do make significant uh, signings, really in the in the in the course of the next few weeks. But there's a lot of people basically just saying that they they have very little faith in in the current setup and the fact that that they feel that as seemingly has been the case that Mike Ashley is, is all but moved on other than in the fact that he hasn't been able to because the, the takeover hasn't actually happened. We, we've also had the release of, of the, the fixtures. So this is this was post that. And I have to say it was the least enthusiasm I've ever seen for the release of the fixtures. I think that's across the board. I don't think that was just Newcastle United. That's possibly just because the, the last season was only a few weeks ago, but certainly in a Newcastle United sense, I suppose. That poll probably shows that there is very little optimism and really people aren't that excited about a comeback. Obviously, fans won't be there to begin with, but it's West Ham away on the opening day of the season. So not the not the worst start to the season for Newcastle United, but the Christmas period looks very, very, very difficult. They have Man City, Liverpool and Leicester in the space of a few days. The run-ins also very difficult. I mean, George, when you saw the fixtures, I know we have to play everyone at some point across the course of the season. I know that that's, that's what it is. But but when you saw them, what, 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 were your immediate, what was your immediate reaction to the fixtures? Well, I was on holiday, so I really could not have given any less of a toss. <laughs> well, now that you've seen them. I mean, I really couldn't give holiday. any less of a toss. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, the I suppose I think for the last, it feels like I might be making this up, but it feels like for the last sort of two couple, couple of seasons, it, they've been really tough starts, haven't they? Um, yeah, am I right been, in saying that? Yeah. yeah, and so it feels slightly more gentle than that. But I mean, so I do, I am of that school of thought that says Newcastle play everybody twice, so just get on with it. But I'm also the kind of person who just looks at any list of fixtures and thinks. Yeah, we'll lose that. We'll lose that. We'll lose that. We'll lose that, and then we're in crisis. So I do that no matter who they're going to play. So I kind of, I kind of tend to think that no, no matter what, Christmas does look, you know, Christmas does look sort of tricky, and certainly the end looks tricky. I mean, I think that's more, you know, that's that would be more the worry for me. Except that again, over the last three seasons, Newcastle. Well, certainly, certainly the first two seasons back in the Premier League, it's been the second half of the season when Newcastle have kind of tended to come on strong, and so hopefully that's still, you know, hopefully that's still there. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I think, I think it's more the sense for me is, oh my God, we have to start this all over again. Um, that was my sort of reaction to the fixture list, as opposed to sort of looking at clumps of fixtures and thinking that Newcastle will win or lose. I just, I just, I'm just, I'm so old and so cynical that I just think Newcastle will lose every game. Well, I, I also sort of, I mean, I sympathise with Bruce to a certain extent, but I also think he's he's on a sort of hiding nothing. I mean, he he said that he wants to progress the club and take them forward, and yet it seems like we're going to have the inevitable conversation throughout certainly the first few weeks and months of, of, of the 2020-21 season saying, can Newcastle get to 40 points as quickly as possible? And that is the frustration and I think that's a lot of what fans are looking at with with this poll and when they talk about the direction of the club is that that just seems to be 
a yearly occurrence. Now, I know you could argue that 10 to 12 Premier League clubs are also in that position, but it's just the fact that Newcastle don't seem to ever move forward. There doesn't seem to be that strength in early, even if they do make signs between now and the end of the season. And I know that most clubs, Chelsea aside, haven't done that much business either yet, but they're going to waste potentially a first few games of the season not having had new additions in place immediately for the start of pre-season so that they can be up to scratch. And that that is going to be a challenge for Steve Bruce, isn't it? To really make sure that the, the first game of the season, the squad that he has at his disposal is ready because Newcastle really need to start well if there's going to be any sort of positive momentum they can generate. Yeah, and you know, of course, he wants to progress the club, and you know, he 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 means that. It's not just words. He hasn't come to St. to St James's Park to just you know to see out his time and just tick over. That's not what he wants. I mean, you know, fans might have have their perception of him as a manager, but you know, he doesn't. That's not what he's about. That there are so many challenges at the club, and you know, there have been for such a long time now. They have not historically been quick off the mark when it comes to signings that was something that Benitez was uh, you know always tearing his hair hair out not you know that they could identify players but it was actually it was actually getting them into the building that proved problematic and you know we we've mentioned a couple of players that Newcastle might be interested in well they're not going to get involved in an auction um and and pay over the odds the other you know so that that's that's part of the history as you mentioned, the circumstances now are just how much has Mike Ashley checked out of the building. I mean, he's been an absentee landlord for a long time now and getting him engaged and getting him interested. I mean, he got interested and engaged about Gillington and that didn't work out very well. So I'm not saying that's the key to it. But, you know, at a time when funds are going to be uh, sort of harder to come by, does him checking out emotionally have an effect on the team, on the club? And and yeah, I mean, and then there's the sort of then there's the sort of stuff that you just can't measure. I mean, I would always think that there was there is a judge and jury at Newcastle, just that there is, is at at every club, and that is inside a stadium on a Saturday. And we haven't got that. You know, obviously we didn't have that towards the end of last season. Um and now moving forward, we're not going to have it again. So Newcastle are going to be playing in this vacuum. You've got this, you've got this club that has been depressed had that air of depression around it for a long time. It had that huge spike of enthusiasm um, in sort of April, May about what might happen. That sort of tailed off. The season tailed off. And now it's that kind of sense of where is the club? What does it stand for? What is it trying to do? What is the plan? Is there a plan? And ostensibly there isn't there isn't one and that's not you know that's not to say that Steve Bruce's plan isn't to progress because of course it is but what you know what does it all mean and it's that strange sort of we're going to have that strange sort of thing where you know you always expect the promoted clubs to come up with uh sort of big motivation and and momentum behind them and other clubs doing their own thing and it just feels like it kind of feels like Newcastle are, are traipsing along. That's not, that's definitely not Steve Bruce's fault, but it's something that he's going to have to deal with. It does feel like that way. And I was going to say that we're going to finish the podcast with a slightly more upbeat topic, but I don't know whether you could necessarily say it is more upbeat. In some senses, I would say that it probably is, but I think it also, if there's a person in terms of is it who almost characterises Nicassian United and unfulfilled potential, then that would be Hatem Ben Arthur and 
Friday, uh, if this if this does go out on Friday morning, we have an article going up on the Athletic Georgian and I that we've been working on. It's ten years since Hatton Benafa first signed for Newcastle United, um, and we've sort of looked back at his time. It wasn't a particularly easy piece to put together, or certainly to write. I mean, to get people to speak about him, they were quite keen, but then it was difficult to get to get them to sort of explain all the different sides to Hatton Benafa because Georgie was a very I'd say complex is probably the best way of, de- of describing Ben Arthur, the character, the player, the rebel. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's the great way of putting him. I mean, you know, if you're talking about most naturally gifted players who've who've been at Newcastle over the you know, over my time of watching the team, he would be right up there at the at the top in terms of Players that I enjoyed watching, however, I'm not sure how close to the top he would be because he there was that just combination of sort of infuriate, you know, brilliance but infuriation, that the the capability of doing something really special, but also the liability that he would be sometimes giving the ball away, as opposed to finding a simple pass for his teammate, giving the ball away in a dangerous area, and uh, the opposition getting the ball and and attacking, and as we say in this piece, he also became. He became something else, and he 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 is one of the emblems of the Ashley era. I mean, not in a not in a positive way towards Mike Ashley, but quite the opposite. That somehow he ha- he took on this this role. He was seen as this kind of vivid, brilliant talent who was being held back by the club, and depending on your viewpoint, he was being held back simply, you know, because. Mike Ashley's Newcastle is incapable of progressing. But also there was the narrative around Alan Pardew at the time that he was not a manager who was prepared to work with this difficult, infuriating, but brilliant talent. And you had all this sort of stuff going on at the time. I mean, I interviewed him a couple of times when he was at Newcastle and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a straightforward character and it was kind of quite good to it was quite good to sort of remind myself of that equally I've loved watching you know those two very special goals he scored particularly against Bolton and Blackburn have I got that right Chris it is correct yes thank you well done to me five extra points um and you know that glimpse of you know that glimpse of potential and he's such a sort of divisive character you know we we talk about the fact that he was on that those fan banners hope and the and the face of Che Guevara sort of him superimposed on that and Pardew was hopeless you know hope versus hopeless and really what he did I'm not sure that what he did was sort of worthy of that uh role except that he's kind of done it everywhere you know he fell out at both of his French clubs, Leon and, Mar- Leon and Marseille, uh, before he got to Newcastle, and of course he he um, he fell out badly with Pardew and others at Newcastle, and of course you know there's a, a again a small irony that he then goes on to Hull, where Steve Bruce wanted to you know thought he was a gamble worth paying, and he lasted he lasted nine matches on loan, and his his last appearance at Hull was 35 minutes. He gets substituted, and Hull's analysis had. Um, worked out that he'd run less than the goalkeeper. Absolutely, you know, an, a proper enigma. He is, and I think that me and you disagree slightly on him in that, uh, and I'd say that you have the the benefit of being really old because you've seen the likes of Gascoigne, you saw Beardsley at his, at his pomp, and I probably didn't I probably didn't witness them. So for me, in a Newcastle United shirt, 
just in terms of naturally gifted, I don't think I've seen a player, certainly in the last 20 years, who is, is as naturally gifted as him. I saw Janola very early on, and so I, I, I wouldn't say he's in the same breath as, as him in terms of impact, what he could have. But I remember the first time Ben Offer came on against Blackpool, and he just took on his man just at the on the left hand on the right hand side of the penalty area and, and got past him without really actually doing anything. And I'd never seen a player do it so effortlessly. And he was capable of doing that and he he's frustrating, he's exasperating, he has not fulfilled his potential at all. You speak to we spoke to a lot of players who basically said, look, it's no exaggeration to say talent wise, he could have been mentioned in the breath of if if quite not quite Messi and Ronaldo, but certainly just below them. But he didn't get anywhere close to that. But I am, I think I'm more sort of pro Ben Arthur being the, the this sort of brilliant footballer than I suppose you were. I accept all of the negatives that go around it, but I think I'm I'm more sympathetic to him than you probably are. Maybe. I mean, all I've been thinking when you were speaking there was about you talking about how old I am, and so I'm just quaking with fury. Well, you know that goal against Bolton Wanderers. The thing that's sort of amazing, and it is seventy yards. He gets the ball in his own half. And just runs forward. The, the amazing thing about that is that it's a, it's a straight line. He runs in a straight line. Now he he reminds me of Gascoigne in that. You made the point in in what we write that he's not like Alan San Maximan, for example, who's kind of you know he's tricky, flicky, fancy, Danny, you know, step overs and does that and and you know has done it brilliantly. And it, but he's not like that. It's the way he runs is he he faints and he drops the shoulder and he does things like that and the ball just sticks to him and you're right Gascoigne was the player who who really kind of made me fall in love with with football who sort of you know I I would always sort of describe him as this kind of violent artist who was elbows as well as kind of brilliance and he had a way of sort of muscling around people getting through people almost but Ben Arthur sort of did the same thing maybe not quite as physical but the ball would stick to him as he ran forward and it's the ball just sticks to his feet and I love that I mean I I mean I did I mean I fell out with Alan Pardew pretty badly towards the end but I did get on with him I got on with him quite well for um for most of his time at at Newcastle, and I suppose I, I I shared that sort of feeling that there has to be some form of discipline, and I'm not talking about discipline. You know, I suppose I wonder what Bobby Robson would have done with him. You know, someone who who did have a Bellamy, um, he was a very difficult character, but he got the best out of him. I you know I suppose I wonder what somebody like Sir Bobby would have done with. Ben Arthur, if he could have harnessed him a bit better, but I would just watch him on the pitch, and he would give the ball away in such dangerous positions, and you would see players holding their hands up. You know, at some point, you have to know when to play a simple pass, and that was my sort of big. That was my big criticism of him that he just wouldn't. He just wanted his own football, and when it worked, it was. It was absolutely beautiful to watch. Don't get me wrong; it was absolutely sensational. But it would only work very, very rarely, and the rest of the time he was putting the team in trouble. I did used to find it hilarious when he used to have matches where he'd be on the right wing and in front of Pardew, and for, for whatever half that was, Pardew would shout at him and he'd listen to him. And then as soon as it switched around the other <laughs> half, he was on, on the other side of the pitch, and you could just see he just was not paying any attention to Pardew whatsoever, and it was a waste of time for him. But in terms of just that Bolton goal, the, the thing that makes it for me. 
and you, you probably miss it on first viewing. It is that little touch that he does over David Duita just outside the box. It is absolutely genius, the way that he just flicks it just over him to, to make sure he, he can draw the defender and get in the box and score it. And yeah, that is that is the memory I will have of, of Hatton Ben Arfa. All of the other stuff I accept and agree with, but I do think the genius just about shines through for me. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, we've tried to end on a sort of positive there because a lot of this podcast has been negative i suppose a lot of the last six months has been negative in the sense that if we look back at how how much of a waste of time it's felt um, 45 but, years chris 45 years yeah yeah so anyway let's 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 round up there we obviously have everything that you can read on the athletic at the minute including that hat and ben arthur piece uh, if you visit uh, theathletic.com forward slash newcastle pod there is a 30-day free trial we also had an interview with media bead on there this week we've had plenty of other bits for you to look at including the jeff hendrick article we mentioned earlier and we will be back next week for another episode of pod on the Tain. Mm-hmm.